Go ahead and open your Bibles with me. If you did not bring your Bibles um, or have a difficult time reading, it'll appear on the screen. Um, here's the text for tonight as we come and worship on this Good Friday. Luke chapter 23, starting in verse 32. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching. And the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? He said, since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. If you're joining us for the very first time tonight, um, tonight actually is uh, the very next sermon to a culmination of a long series that we've been on. Been on this journey through the Gospels, trying to rediscover who Jesus is and what he was about. Throughout this sermon series, we've been distinguishing between uh, religion and the gospel. And we've been saying that religion is an attitude that lives life with the perspective of, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. I obey, therefore I'm loved. I do the right things. I do good deeds. I am a good person, and therefore I am loved by God. And the resulting attitude of religion is one that says, God, you don't have claim on my life. Religion makes it very difficult for you to sing the hymn that we just sang, I Surrender All. Matter of fact, if you operate from the standpoint of religion, that hymn is impossible for you to sing authentically because when you approach life from religion, you will always say to God, you could have some parts of my life, but you can't have others. Why? Look at what I do for you. And I've been saying that Jesus didn't come establishing religion. He came establishing a relationship based on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And and the gospel and the perspective of the gospel says, I am accepted. 
in Christ. I am loved in Christ. I am worthy in Christ. And therefore, and there is a cost. Therefore, I obey. Therefore, I lay down my all. Therefore, I give everything that I have. See, the reason why tonight is important is this. Tonight is the essence of what lies at the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the reason why tonight is important is this. Tonight is important because we are reminded, you guys, that the the, the replay of tonight is essential, not just for a non-Christian who wants to become a Christian. But tonight is essential for us Christians in the everyday of our lives, thereafter we commit to Jesus. Do you understand that? Everything that ails us, everything that ails us is because this right here and what happened tonight is just uh, something that we know. It's just something that we intellectually embrace. It's something that we came to grips with when we first gave our lives to Jesus. But the reality is the gospel and the truth of the gospel is not just for non-Christians. It's not just for the ABCs of the Christian life. It's the A to Z of the Christian life. You don't embrace the gospel just to become a Christian. You embrace the gospel every day thereafter. You don't embrace the gospel just in order to say, now I become a Christian. But every day after that, life transformation happens as a result of remembering the gospel. Our hearts are numb. Our hearts are cold. Our hearts are proud. Our hearts are centered on other things. There's no joy. There's no such thing as costly sacrifice. Why? The gospel. The gospel. Belief in the gospel and appropriation of what the gospel is every second, every moment of our lives. It's when the cross electrifies our hearts every second, every moment of our lives that life transformation happens. And that's what Luke is trying to get at in this passage, actually, if you caught it. Jesus says in verse 34, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And essentially what Jesus is saying is this, to religious and irreligious people, he's saying, Father, they're staring directly at what I am doing, and they're not getting it. They're staring directly at the single greatest event in the history of mankind, and they're not phased by it at all. Verse 35, it says, the people stood watching. And Luke is asking you and me tonight, do you get it? Do you get it? Luke is saying, are you sitting there watching? Or do you get it? Has the truth of what happened tonight in the gospel sunk deep down in your heart and in your soul? Or are you merely watching tonight and observing Luke is saying, as he comes to the end of his book, I have given you everything that you need to know about who Jesus is and what he has done. And you have a choice. You could either sit and just watch and observe, or you could allow the truth of tonight to change your heart, to melt your heart. In this passage, 
And, you know, I, I hate to just put it in, 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 in sermonic points, but just to give us some markers throughout. Because as I said, if tonight's sort of a culmination of what we've been talking about, and you're sitting there going, this whole gospel thing, Peter, how does it transform? How does it radically transform my heart in such a way that it moves from mere intellectual assent and belief to something that I know to genuinely transforming my life. Luke shows us right here in this passage. The first question that he asks you is, have you recognized and replaced your motivational center? Have you recognized and replaced your motivational center? Look at verse 39. The first criminal comes to Jesus like millions of people every year. And he says, are you the Christ? If you are, then save yourself. But more importantly, save me. And here's, how he's, here's what he is saying. He's coming to Christ and he is saying, look, are you really who you say you are? I would be happy to believe you. I would be happy to embrace that truth. I would be happy to sort of give my life to you and love you if you will get me out of this. You want to prove to me that you're really Jesus, that this person who has power to transform lives, I have a little test for you, Jesus, test of your divinity. Get me out of here. See, I, I, I'm in trouble. I'm being executed, actually. I don't want to be executed. I'm in deep heap of trouble. And if you are the Christ, I have a small test for you. If you want my love, my affection, my loyalty, get me out of this trouble. Then I will believe in you. And right about now, all of us are on very familiar emotional terrain because every single one of us at some point or right now are coming to Jesus and saying, are you Jesus? Are you really the Christ? Are you somebody that could genuinely transform my life? I have a small bit of test for you, and that is, get me out of here do this for me change this part of my life change these circumstances then I will believe you then I will love you then I will be committed to you we are essentially saying with our lives I will serve you if I will love you if and I said this this past Sunday whatever is on the other side of that if is the real God of our lives Whatever is on the other side of the if is the real motivational center of our lives. And as long as we fail to deal with whatever is on the other side of the if, there will be no gospel transformation. There will be no life change. There will be no beyond just observing. The question we are faced with tonight is, what is on the other side of that if in your life? What is the real God, the real motivational center of your life, Christian or not? I don't care how long you've been a Christian, how long, how many good Fridays you've come to. If there is another God besides the Almighty God, if there's another Savior, another Lord, another thing that you look to to find significance, identity, and security, if there is another thing that is the true motivational center of your life, there will be no life transformation. We come to God and say, I will serve you if. And the gospel falls flat. You notice the second criminal doesn't say that. He comes to Jesus and amazingly, he says, I want to be with you even if. That's the cry of his heart. It's amazing 
confession. I want to be with you even if you don't get me out of trouble. Unlike the first criminal that says, if you get me out of this trouble, if you get me out of this mess, if you will just deliver me and do something about this area, then I will believe in you. The second criminal comes to Jesus and says, even if. And what he is doing is he is pointing to how the gospel transforms us. That is, he is recognizing and replacing his true motivational center. He is recognizing and replacing the true idol and the true God of his life. Do you know why we experience spiritual deadness? Why we experience a Christian life lacking We can say we're Christian. We can do all the religious, we can do all the church thing. But you realize most of us come to God and say, God, will you help me serve this God? Will you help me serve this Lord? You know how we do that. Let me give you an example. When we are in a relationship and the relationship is falling apart, when we are in a relationship and the relationship is going haywire, all of our insecurity, all of our significance has been in that and it comes through. You know what we say to God? We say, God, will you help me with this relationship? God, will you give me the strength to put this relationship together? God, will you do something so that I can't lose this relationship? And you know what God says? God comes to you and says, do you not realize that until you can say, God, you are the real center, you are the real significance, and unless I make you the real center, I will not be able to handle not just this relationship, but any relationship in my life. Do you know why? God says to you, no, I'm not going to answer that prayer. Because God says, I didn't come to help you with your agenda. I came to be your new agenda. God says, I'm not about playing second fiddle to the real God of your life. He's much bigger than that. He is much bigger than that. I so want to get out of this chair right now, but I I committed myself to sitting here. So I hope you can see me by leaning. I'm going to ask you again. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for 20 years. It doesn't matter if you're a leader in the church. It doesn't matter how much of the Bible you know. If there is another motivational center besides God, you will not experience gospel transformation. Do you have courage to recognize and to replace that? I got to ask some of you guys tonight, why are you so angry at God that that plan didn't come through? What's the real God of your life? Why are you so upset? Why are you so down? Why are you so discouraged because that, that plan or goal that you had somehow didn't work out? Why are you so devastated tonight because that thing, her, him, didn't come through for you? Do you not realize that the very heart, your soul, is pointing to the real God of your life? And you have a choice tonight. You could just stand and observe or you can say, I want to make you the true center of my life. You see where the motivation comes to live the radical Christian life? It's right here. It's right here. It's not about religion. It's about making him the very center of your life. Is he? Is he? 
You know, what's interesting is uh, just one little point and then we'll move on to the next thing. What's so interesting is you realize stuff that we say, we say things like, my life is falling apart. And what's really interesting is first, first, uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, 16 has an interesting verse that just puts that into perspective. It says, in him, in Christ, all things hold together. In him, all things hold together. God created us with a design, and that design is to center on him. We say, disintegration. My life is falling apart. In Christ, all things hold together. My life is falling apart. Who is at the center? Who's at the center? The second thing that Luke, I think, reminds us tonight in order for true gospel transformation to occur is that we need to believe and embrace the paradox. Believe and embrace the paradox. What do I mean? Notice what the second criminal says. And it's so counterintuitive, you know. In, In verse 41, he essentially says, I deserve to die. I am a bad man. I've killed people. I deserve the punishment that I'm getting. I deserve judgment. That's what he's saying, essentially. Now, the first criminal doesn't say that. The first criminal is going off and saying, I don't deserve this. Get me out of here. But the second criminal says, I do deserve what I'm getting. I am a bad man. I've killed people. But interestingly enough, look at what he says in verse 42. This is so counterintuitive. He says, I deserve to be punished. I deserve judgment. I deserve to be cast out. So Jesus Remember me. So Jesus, remember me in your kingdom. Do you know why? Sorry, I'm getting out of my chair. Do you know why this is so powerful to me? Because think, think of how counterintuitive it is. It's natural and it's normal and it makes sense for this criminal to say, I am a bad man. I've done bad things. I deserve to be punished. So punish me. What he is saying to Jesus is, I am a bad man. I have killed people. I have done all kinds of things. I deserve to be punished. So Jesus, reward me. It's right here. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I've I've deserved to be punished. Reward me. I deserve to be cast out. So bring me in. I deserve Jesus. I deserve judgment. So give me grace. And Jesus doesn't say, read your Bibles, Jesus doesn't say, what the heck are you talking about? Jesus doesn't say, make up your mind, you're confused. Jesus says, you're right, you deserve to be punished. You're right, you deserve to be cast out. So come on in. So embrace my grace. How how can that be possible? which some of us may know is at the center of the cross, how is that possible that this man could say, I deserve to be punished. I'm a bad man. I've done wicked, sinful things. So extend grace. So accept me. So bring me in. The answer, verse 44, the darkness. The darkness. The Bible says that for a three-hour period, the entire land was covered in darkness. Is that something just dramatic, a special effect that God wants to do? No, there's always enormous symbolism behind everything that happens in Scripture. Every place in the Old Testament that talks about the day that God is going to come down and destroy all evil. 
Every instance in the Old Testament that talks about the day where God is going to bring his justice to eradicate all evil, all injustice. The day that the Bible sometimes called the day of vengeance or the day of darkness. Darkness in scripture, every point, especially in the Old Testament, represents judgment of God, represents, represents the justice of God coming down. We don't have time to read these passages. Joel chapter 2, Amos chapter 8, Zephaniah chapter 1. All of these passages point to this truth that the day, the, 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 the day of darkness, every time the scripture symbolizes darkness, it's talking about the judgment day, the justice of God coming down. So what is going on here? What is Luke trying to tell us? This is what he's saying. He's saying this day that Jesus is hanging on the cross is the judgment day before the judgment day. What do you mean, you say? On the cross, the Son of God is hanging. And the judgment of God and the justice of God, and yes, some of you don't like hearing this language, but the wrath of God is coming down on him. This is the judgment day before the judgment day. This is a day of vengeance. This is a day of darkness. This is a day in which God's justice for all the evil, all the injustice, all the sins that humanity has ever committed is coming down on Jesus, is raining down on Jesus. Why? So that you and I wouldn't have to go through our judgment day. Receiving the justice of God, the judgment of God. Jesus replaces us essentially at the bullseye, the center of God's justice and God's judgment for all the sin, all the evil, and all the injustice. He replaces us. The justice of God, the judgment of God that's eradicating and erasing evil and justice in the world is eradicating and demolishing Jesus. Why? This is the paradox. To us who can say, I deserve to be punished, so punish me. To us who should rightfully say, I deserve to be cast out, so cast me out. I deserve to be excluded, so exclude me. Jesus says, because of what he has done, we can come to him and say, I deserve to be judged, so set me free. I deserve to be excluded, so bring me in. I deserve to be bound uh, by sin and death, so set me free. I deserve judgment, so give me grace because of Jesus. Is that good news to anybody? Do you see where the motivation comes to live the life that he calls us to live? The motivation to live the life he calls us to live and the cost that he calls us to live is everything that we have. There's not a single part of our being that doesn't, is, is, is not given to Jesus. The only motivation to do that is when you and I deeply recognize the paradox of the cross, that he was cast out so we can be brought in. He was judged so we could be set free. He paid the payment so we wouldn't have to. He took our place at the center of the bullseye. What is our motivation? What is our response? Our response then is, how could I not then make him the center of my very life? The one who took my place in the center of God's judgment comes to me and says, will you then now make me the center of your life? 
Have you believed and embraced the paradox of the cross? You know what's the, the most ironic thing about this passage is that uh, the people and the soldiers mock Jesus, right? They say to him, he saved others, but he can't even save himself. That's the stupidest thing anybody has ever said. Why? Jesus is sitting there and saying, I am saving you because I would not save myself. You are being brought in and accepted and embraced unconditionally because I did not save myself. You are being set free from sin and death because I did not save myself. You don't have to live life of shame and exclusion because Jesus did not save himself. Church, are you just watching tonight? Are you merely observing? Have you embraced with the paradox? And lastly, gospel writer Luke reminds us that we, mind, we need to remind ourselves of the withness, the withness of the gospel. The criminal says to Jesus, I deserve to be punished, so remember me. Utterly counterintuitive, and yet Jesus says, answer is, today you will be with me in paradise. Today you are with me in paradise. You ever wonder what Jesus meant by that? A lot of people think what Jesus was essentially saying when he said, you are with me, is just giving him some comfort and saying, I'm physically here, present with you. So don't worry. I, I, I'm here right here next to you. I'm, 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 I'm generally here. That's what Jesus was saying when he said, I am with you or you're with me today. But we know in hindsight as we look back on history, the people like the Apostle Paul in the New Testament fleshed out what this withness really was about. What Jesus was essentially saying when he was saying to the criminal, you are with me today. Paul talks about how when you put your faith in Christ, the Apostle Paul talks about this amazing truth that I personally have a hard time wrapping my brains around. That is that when we place our faith in Christ, the moment that we place our faith in Christ, this aspect of withness, this aspect of cosmic withness occurs in such a way that whatever happened to Christ happens to us. Everywhere in the New Testament, the apostle talks about this witness of Christ, that being we are so identified with Christ in the moment of our confession and acceptance of him that whatever happened to Christ, the Bible says, happened to us. Here's some examples of what Paul means. Romans chapter 6, verse 5. And I want you to pay attention to this little preposition, with. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. 
Paul says, here's an aspect of the witness that he was communicating, Jesus was communicating to the, to the criminal on the cross. He says, there's a way in which we're with Christ. How is that? We are so identified with Christ that when he died, taking the penalty of our sin, when we are with Christ, it's as if we die to the penalty of our sin it's in such a way that there's no more penalty for our sins, which is death coming to us. You're with him. And then Paul also says in this passage, there's another aspect into where you are with Christ. How is that? Not only have we died to the penalty of sin with Christ, but we also died to the power of sin with Christ. He said when Christ rose from the dead, he, he, he essentially freed himself, if you will, from the power of sin. What is Paul saying? He's saying not only are we free from the penalty of sin in our witness with Christ, but in our witness with Christ, we're also set free from the power of sin. Just as he rose again from the dead, defeating the power, the dominion, influence, control of sin, he says, when you are with me, it's as if the power of sin in your life is also be broken. You don't have to be slaves to sin anymore. You don't have to be under the dominion of sin anymore. You are with me. Now, that in itself will be tremendous news to which we would be jumping up and down for joy. But there is one last aspect of witness of Christ that Paul hammers away again and again and again. And church, dare I say that this year, right, is the essence of the gospel. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5, 6, another preposition, with. God made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. This is so amazing. If you're paying attention to what Paul is saying, you could rightly say, Paul, I know you were inspired by God, but you were not a very good person of grammar. You mean, you mean we, 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 we were, you mean we will be raised with Christ? We will be seated in the heavenly realms in Christ. That's what you meant. And Paul says, absolutely not. I know exactly what I was saying. When he says you were seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, you will be raised. Essentially, Paul is using a Greek grammatical word that is, that, is, that is a past event that is present ramifications. A past event that is present ramifications. And Paul is saying, I didn't make a grammatical error. He is saying, because of something that happened in the past, today you are with Christ in heaven. Today you are seated with him in heaven. To which you and I go, what the heck are you talking about? Here's what this means. It's over and over again when Paul says, when Christ looks at you, he doesn't see a work in progress. He doesn't see somebody who needs to jump through a bunch of hoops in order to get to that place where God finally says, I love you and embrace you. When Christ looks at you today, right now, at this moment, he sees you as beautiful. He sees you as righteous. He sees you as holy. He sees you as redeemed. He sees you as worthy as his son, Jesus Christ. This is why Paul, this is why Jesus could say something like this in John chapter 17. Father, love them even as you have loved me. Even as, even as, not sort of like, not kind of like, to the degree that he says, even as the Father loves me. Do you realize how precious you are to God? Do you realize how valuable you are to God? Do you realize how embraced you are? Do you realize how, do you realize how in you are? Do you realize how with you are in Christ? Do you, are you watching? 
Are you observing? Has this sunk deep down in your heart? You sit there and say, I get it, Peter. I get it. No, you don't. Do you know how radically our lives would be different if this deeply sunk down to the very fiber of our being? We wouldn't be upset for the things that we get upset about. We wouldn't be insecure about the things we get insecure about. We wouldn't put our hopes and our security in the things that we put our hopes and security about. We would live large. We would live free. We would live in joy. We would live in confidence. We would live in strength. Our lives would be radically different if we really believed that we are with Every single day of our lives, here on after, is to remind ourselves of the witness of Christ, of who you are. You don't need to hear a sermon on how to get your marriage better. You need to let the cross of Jesus sink down deep in your heart. You don't need a sermon series about how to make career choices because that's the biggest thing in your life. Your career is the central motivation of your heart and as long as it is, it doesn't matter how many sermons you hear on making career-wide choices. Are you following? You don't need any sermon series on relationships. You need the cross of Jesus Christ to melt your heart for you to know the width. would look so radically different our lives would look so radically different our lives would be so much more radical our lives would be so much more sacrificial our lives would be so much more loving our lives would be so much more gracious our lives would be so much more merciful our lives would be so much more joyous our lives would be so much more and jesus christ says i've come to give you life if the truth of what he did for us on this cross 2,000 years ago becomes real. And it sinks into the very bottom of our soul. That when you hear the words, he did that for you, your response wouldn't be, that's nice. But your response would be, I fall down on my knees. And I surrender all. David, come on up. I'm going to make this really, really practical for you guys tonight because it's Good Friday. It could be very symbolic. Matt, I want you to put up that list of things. The end result tonight has to be As you look at that list on the screen, what is your motivational center? What is it that's keeping you from embracing and being transformed by the paradox of the cross? Your career? Money possessions? Your self-image? How you appear in front of people? The image that people want, you want people to have? At least your time? Is it friendships? Is it your marriage or a certain relationship? Your private thought life? Families? 
physical health and church involvement. What do you need tonight to come to Jesus and say, I die to that? What do you need to symbolically nail to the cross of Jesus Christ and say, I'm done. I'm done. So God, tonight we come to you and uh, God, I pray for me. I pray for myself more than before I pray for anybody else. Father, that my heart will be radically changed and transformed by the truth that even though, even though I am more wicked and sinful than I dared believe, God, that in Christ I am more accepted and more loved than I dared hope at the same time. That the truth of the witness of Christ, this radical news, God, that today, this very moment, not tomorrow when I do better, not next month when I get my act together, but today, tonight, in Christ, I am loved even as your son is loved. I am precious even as your son is precious. Not because of my works, not because of my performance, not because I've uh, done things well, but simply because of your son and his sacrifice. For me, for me, for me, for me, for me. me for me and the night that he was betrayed Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body broken for you Every time, every time you come up and you reach for that piece of bread, remember that that bread represents the broken body of Jesus. Remember that that bread represents the broken body of Jesus that was judged for you, that was excluded for you, that, was, that, was, that, was, uh, that embraced the judgment and justice of God for you, that was declared guilty for you. In the same way, he took the cup. And after blessing it and giving thanks, he said, this is my cup. The cup that is the new covenant, represents a new covenant in my blood. That just as the great paradox says, you do not come anymore based on your merit. You do not come anymore earning salvation. You do not come anymore earning my affirmation, my acceptance of you. It's done in Jesus. It's accomplished in Christ. It is finished. It is finished. It is finished in Christ. So believe it and accept it humbly. Believe and accept it gratefully. And as you dip that bread into that cup, remember today, not tomorrow, today you stand cleansed. Today you stand righteous. Today you stand purified. Today you stand accepted. Today you stand loved. Loved as you will ever be. Today. Today.
for the sake of his glory. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. The communion servers would please come on up. There will be two stations tonight. I want to encourage you guys to stay as long as you'd like. We're going to close doors at 9 o'clock, but up until 9 o'clock, it's about 8.30 right now, I believe. We're about 30 minutes. The worship team will lead us during time of worship, but tonight is really for you to do business with God. So as you take communion, you can stay up here, go back to your seats, plenty of area on the side aisles, wherever, wherever. You pray and spend some time with the Lord. Come. When you're ready, the Lord invites us. The Lord invites us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And tonight, those of you that want to stay, you're welcome to do that. Stay and linger and pray. Pray with somebody. Come up for prayer as well. There'll be folks up here that will pray for you. And as you leave tonight, as you leave tonight, I want you to remember the very words of Jesus, the last words that he breathed. It is finished. It is finished. There is no more guilt. There is no more judgment. There is no more death. There is no more shame. It is finished. It's done. You are with him and as you go forth tonight may the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the very vibrant life of the Son of God and the eternal sovereign power of the creator of the universe go before you go behind you go beside you Daughter of God, Son of God, in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.